Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He destined us in love to be His sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. One of the saddest feelings, I think, that you can have in life is to feel that your life is going nowhere. You're alive, but you feel like you can't even think of any real good point in being alive. You get up in the morning, and the day looks blank. It looks empty. You have a little flicker every now and then, a little daydream that it might be awesome if your life could be connected in some significant way to a cause or a, a future that is beautiful and glorious and sure. And then you wake up from your little flicker and your little daydream and everything around you looks small and insignificant, short-lived and not very important at all. I don't think we were made to live that way. I don't think we were made, human beings in the image of God, to live without a fantastically important, sure, glorious, good, beautiful destiny. I think we were made to be sustained moment by moment by the sure confidence that there's a connection between what I'm doing today and something great that's coming tomorrow. I think we were made to be nourished and strengthened by the hope that no matter how mundane, no matter how ordinary what I do from day to day is, it's hooked in meaningfully to something great, something glorious, something sure, something good and, and beautiful. I believe we are made that way. Human beings are structured that way. And when the connection breaks down between my life and what I do day by day, and that greatness, that sense of cause, that sense of significance out here, that future that's coming because of what I'm doing, if that breaks down, you've got three choices. Number one, you can kill yourself. Number two, you can numb yourself out with television, drugs, alcohol, novels, computers, frantic play, frantic work. Or three, you can strive to reconnect, rediscover the connection between your destiny, who you are, and what's coming, and the significance between the two. And that's what I want to do this morning. I see myself serving this third cause in order to free you from the first two. I want to reconnect for you your life as a child of God and your destiny 
to establish the firmness of it, to show what it is and where it came from, so that you can be lifted out of yourself and have a sense that what you do, no matter how mundane, all day long, is hooked in significantly to a great future that really counts. In the Second World War, there was a Nazi concentration camp in Hungary. And uh, the prisoners of this concentration camp were put to work in a very ugly, horrible, slimy, nauseating sewage plant that took human waste and garbage and processed it so that there could be uh, fuel and other kinds of things. In other words, it had some little remnant of significance, what they were doing, as horrible as it was. And then the Allied bombers came and exploded the factory, the, the plant, and blew it to smithereens. The result was that the, office, the Nazi officers told all these prisoners to load the sand and the rubble onto carts and to haul it to the other side of the field and unload it. And the next day, they made them load it back on the carts at that end and bring it back to this end and unload it. And the next day, they loaded it on and took it to that end. And every day, they just began to take the rubble back and forth across the field and unload it. And let me read you what the upshot of this emptiness was. Finally, one old man began crying uncontrollably. The guards hauled him away. Another screamed until he was beaten into silence. Then a young man who had survived three years in the camp darted away from the group. And the guards shouted for him to stop as he ran toward the electrified fence. The other prisoners cried out, but it was too late. There was a blinding flash and a terrible sizzling noise as smoke puffed from his smoldering flesh. In the days that followed, dozens of the prisoners went mad and ran from their work only to be shot by guards or electrocuted by the fence. We are made to be sustained by meaning. We are made to be carried moment by moment that what we're doing is somehow connected to something that counts and counts a long time and is big and beautiful and is worthy and is sure. That's the way you are made. And if that connection breaks down, you can kill yourself, numb yourself, or get on a quest this morning with me for the reestablishment of that connection. And I want to establish it in your hearts this morning, you who believe in Jesus Christ, and I want to allure those of you who don't believe into this great connection and this great establishment by faith in Him. I want you to come to the end of this service and realize you don't have to sob over empty days, no matter what your profession is. And you don't have to scream over futility. You don't have to throw yourself on the wires. Here's the way I want to do it. Here's the simple plan from the text. I want to unfold for you the, the goal of your destiny. And I want to unfold for you the ground of your destiny. Where are you headed? What is really out there? What are you connected to that counts? And then how sure is it? What's it all based on? Is it really unshakable? Can I count on it? What's it rooted in? 
Number one, let's ask the question, what's the goal of our destiny? Verse 5 gives the answer. It says, God predestined us for sonship. I chose the word destiny to fit with the word predestined. God predestined us unto sonship or unto or for adoption into his family. Our destiny as believers before the foundation of the world was that we might become the children of God. If you ask, what's the difference between last week and this week? What's the difference between election in verse 4, choosing, God's choosing, and predestination in verse 5? What's the difference between those two? The answer is, election focuses on God's free choice of whom he will for what he predestines them to. And predestination focuses on the goal or the destiny for which he has chosen them. That's the difference in focus. They overlap. They involve each other. They aren't drastically separated concepts or realities in God's mind. Election is God's choosing whom he will, and predestination is the destiny to which and for which he chose them. Now, when God chose you, the number one goal for which he chose you was that you might become the children of God, that you might be part of the family, that you might become a child of God, that you might take on the family likeness and become an heir of everything God owns. Now, that little phrase, the family likeness, um, is the one that I believe Paul stresses most in this text. The reason I, I say that is because in verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? To what end? To what destiny? That, he, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In other words, the practical content of your standing as children is your family likeness. You are holy and blameless, or you are becoming like your father. You are becoming holy and blameless. The destiny, the goal of your destiny, is that you would be a child of God and thus be holy and blameless. Now, let's take this little phrase, in love, and if you look at your versions, you're going to see something disturbing. Um... Does the little phrase, in love, belong at the end of the sentence, at the end of verse 4, or does the little phrase, in love, belong at the beginning of verse 5? You'll notice the people who made the verse breaks in our text, which was not Paul, by the way, broke it after in love. You can all see that in your versions. Now, which is it? Does it go with verse 4 and mean... He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before Him in love. That is, holiness consists in love and our destiny is to become a loving community as children of God like our Father. Is that the meaning? Or is the meaning the way the RSV has it, the NASB has it, and the NIV has it? Namely, that He destined us in love. That the in love goes with the next verse and modifies the verb predestined. 
to show you what it's coming from. It's coming from the heart of God and, and it's in love. Now, which of those two is, is correct? Now, I'm going with the King James Version and the New Revised Standard Version. Those are the only two I could find that construe it the way I construe it. Namely, I'm taking the little phrase, in love, at the end of verse 4, modifying holiness and blamelessness. Now, you should ask me, well, why? Because I can't pull rank on you here and say, oh, the Greek tells me so. Because in the Greek, it's totally ambiguous. The little phrase, in love, is sandwiched right in between. You're no worse off than if you knew Greek this morning. I mean, no better off, no worse off, which is it? At any rate, you wouldn't solve this problem. See, Tom Schreiner's sitting down here with the Greek text in his hand. So he could stand up right now and say, uh, John's right, this little phrase, en agape, is sandwiched right in there. You can't tell whether it goes with what's before or what's after. So you have to ask, is it um, context? And here's, here's my reason, and then I'll tell you why it's important that I take the little phrase, in love, and put it at the end of blamelessness and holiness. There are a lot of commentators who do this, and none of them that I have read do it for the reason I do it. I found a parallel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, that totally persuades me that in Paul's way of thinking here about holiness and blamelessness and sonship and love, he means for in love to go with verse 4. Let me read what I found for you. First Thessalonians 3.12 <clears throat> May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now note that connection. May he cause you to abound in love to one another so that you would be blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Now, there are four unmistakable parallels there with our text. One, the little phrase, in love, and it means love for each other and all men. Number two, blamelessness and holiness. Those two words coming together, the same words as in Ephesians 1.4. And love leading to those things and being the essence of those things. Three, Holiness and blamelessness here is before God, which is exactly the phrase or what you have there in Ephesians 1.4. Holy and blameless before Him. And finally, God and our Father in the context of Father and children. Now, when I read that, I say, okay, the complex in Paul's mind of thought of love, holiness and blamelessness before God, our Father, us children, persuades me that... The point of the little phrase in love in Ephesians 1.4 is this. Your destiny, before you were ever created, your destiny was that you would become a child of God and take on a family likeness. And the essence of the family likeness is holiness and blamelessness. And the heart of holiness and blamelessness is love to one another and to God. That's why it's important to me. I love that destiny. I love the thought that the church of Jesus Christ is destined forever to be a community of love. John, another writer in the New Testament, another apostle, put it like this in his letter. By this the children of God are manifest. The one who does not love his brother is not a child of God. There's the family likeness. 
If you don't have the family, the character family likeness, you have no warrant for thinking you're a child of God. Children are like their father. They are chips off the old block of love. God is love. And therefore, the children love. Without love, we have no warrant for believing that we are his children. Your destiny is to love. Now, that's only the first half of the answer of what the goal of predestination is, of your destiny. The second half of the answer is more important. If anything could be more important than holiness and blamelessness and love. We have to ask the question, do you mean, does Paul mean... That from before the foundation of the world, God had designed that his whole plan, his whole purpose of election and predestination would terminate on me. Holy me, blameless me, loving me, but me. And the answer is no, because of verse 6. I love it when all your heads go down. This is not me talking here. Verse 6 says that the reason for all of that, the reason for all this election, the reason for this predestination and sonship and blamelessness and holiness and love is for one grand, glorious, terminal goal. Namely, to the praise of the glory of the grace of God. God is focused finally on God. The reason I want Bethlehem to be a God-centered church is because God is a God-centered God. The goal of God's predestination is the glory of God. The goal of election is the glory of God. The goal of your holiness and your blamelessness and your love among each other is God. Now this is the best of all universes because... That sentence does not cancel out verse 5. There's nothing I want more, I think, than to be a holy person who's not blamed anymore for anything by anybody, including God Almighty. I want no more blame in my life, don't you? I mean, I hate to be blamed for things. I hate it when I feel guilty. I want that to be gone forever and ever, never again, for all eternity, being blamed for anything. I want to be perfect. I want to be holy. I want to love people far better than I love them now. That sentence is not canceled out by saying, you know what? When you become that kind of person, you're going to ooze praise to God. God's going to get the final glory. What it means to be holy, what it means to be blameless, what it means to be loving ultimately is that you are a reflection back to God of who God is. And He will be all and in all, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, because there will radiate back and forth among the people of God, God Himself. It will be His love perfected in you, His holiness in you, His blamelessness in you, and all to His praise and glory. He's the goal of your destiny. Now the question is, and this is more brief, what's the ground of it all? What does it all stand on? It, 
Is this destiny something unshakable? Does it rest on something that wobbles? Can it just break down and crash? Is it utterly, ultimately dependent on me and my fickle will and all that I go through up and down, up and down every day? What, what's it all standing on? And there are two answers to that, just like there were two answers to the question of the goal. Here's the first answer. God, this is verse 5, God predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the first foundation or ground of your destiny. Now, to show you how that works, look very briefly at chapter 5. If you want to turn there with me or just listen, chapter 5 Verses 25 to 27 links up this phrase holiness and blamelessness again, this time with the death of Jesus. And we see what through Jesus Christ means in Ephesians 1.5. Let's read Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There's his death. That he might sanctify her. That means make us holy. That's what, that's what sanctification means. That he might make us holy. Now drop to verse seven, uh, 27. That he might present the church to himself in glory, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And here it comes. But that she might be holy and blameless. Now, um, collapse the verses into just these two statements. Christ gave himself for the church that she might be holy and blameless. Now you see the foundation, first of all. According to Ephesians 1.5, our destiny, we are predestined, I mean 1.4, we are elect to a destiny, namely to be holy and blameless. And then we're told that we're predestined to this sonship through Jesus Christ. And now this verse here in chapter 5 shows how it's through Jesus Christ. Namely, it's through His death. When He died... All my sins were covered. There goes my blame, right out the window, to the ends of the earth, the bottom of the sea. It's gone. Not only that, when he died, I died. You know, don't you, that that's what happens when you're converted. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a union with Christ happens. And everything that happened to him happened to you. When he died, you died. That means if you have died to sin, how can you who died still live in it? The key to holiness is dying with Jesus. And as Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves dead now to sin. Because Christ died to sin once for all, and He lives and He can never die again. The death He died, He died to sin. The life He lives, He lives to righteousness. So reckon yourselves dead to sin. It's all there in Christ. And so the first ground for your holiness and your blamelessness and your love is the death of Jesus on your behalf. Now finally, is there anything deeper? Can you go deeper than the death of Jesus? Can you get under the death of Jesus and ask, is there anything holding that up? Did it come from somewhere? Is there something stable and firm behind the death of Jesus that adds Firmness to what can hardly be imagined as more firm than the value and all-sufficiency of the, of the death of the Son of God? And the answer is yes, there is something deeper. And it's here in verse 5 also. God predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ for Himself. And here it is. 
according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now the point of that little phrase is to tell you this morning and to remind you this morning that if you are a child of God, you owe it to God. You owe it to the will of God. He could have said, He predestined us through Jesus Christ unto sonship according to His will. Or He could have said, according to His good pleasure. And both would have been true and there would have been enough. But to make it crystal clear that He's talking about a sovereign free will. He put the good pleasure of His will. And the point is that we became the children of God. That became our destiny, not according to works done by us, not according to our background, not according to our socioeconomic status, not according to our education, not according to what we can understand, not according to our parents' religion, not according to where we go to church, not according to whether we've been baptized, not according to anything we have willed or done, but according to the good pleasure of God. And when you really are hit by that, it takes your breath away. That you stand on God. Yes, we're on Jesus. And He's the platform of our holiness. And He's the platform of our sonship and our blamelessness and our love. But beneath it all is the free, sovereign, good pleasure of the will of God. Now here's the sum of the matter. Let's just sum it up. Your destiny. I want you connected this morning. I want you connected as children of God with your destiny. So that you don't have to throw yourself on the wires. Or scream because of emptiness and meaninglessness. Or sob your days away because they don't count. That's not necessary. If you lift yourself up out of yourself and let yourself behold these awesome objective foundations for your full assurance, you can walk through your days like a rock, singing to the God who put a foundation under you that can never, ever be broken. And here it is in summary. The goal of your destiny, the goal of your destiny is the praise of the glory of God's grace. And the ground of your destiny is the good pleasure of the sovereign will of God. And sandwiched in between that ground and that goal are two predestined means to that goal. Number one, the death of the Son of God on your behalf. All sufficient for every sin you ever will commit. And your holiness and your adoption into God's family. And you're becoming a loving person. If you are in Christ this morning, your roots go down into the eternal counsels of God. Your branches go up into eternity in the praise of God. And in between these two things, there need be no sobbing over emptiness and meaninglessness because you're connected 
And as you seek the will of God, everything you do from the most mundane thing, whether you eat or drink or sharpen pencils, do all to the glory of the God who destined you for a future that is incomparably and unspeakably great. And don't let the devil one minute tell you that it's uncertain or lacking in foundation, but rather throw Romans 8 back at him and say, everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And therefore, He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. Out of here, Satan! This is the Word of the living God. And so reestablish yourself and let the connection be born again. Great God, how worthy you are, how great you are, how needy we are to see you. No wonder Paul prayed later on in this chapter, grant them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. No wonder he pleaded that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know the hope to which we've been called and the greatness of our inheritance and the power at work in those who believe. Oh, Lord God, answer this apostolic prayer. In this very moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.